Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Romans. And if you have your Bible, we're in Romans 4, but a little precursory study is going to be, little, briefly, uh, it's going to be in uh, Genesis 15. So turn to Genesis 15. And you hear me reference this from time to time about Abraham. In Genesis 15, look at verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham, or Abram. This is before he had his name changed to Abraham. But the Lord tells him in a vision, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. It's so beautiful, this intimacy that you see that is developed with Abraham and the Lord. And the Lord unto Abraham, the same intimacy that can develop between you and the Lord and the Lord and you. Intimacy, oneness. You know, it really, if you haven't sensed it already, when we're in our study in the book of Acts, you see, I'm, I'm even to this day, even right now, the thought of it, I'm greatly, greatly, greatly perturbed, perturbed at the notion that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit are reserved for 2,000 years ago. I don't like that. You know, granted, there are, uh, it's been uh, abused uh, gifts. It's been faked. But that's to, 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 to nullify the Holy Spirit and His working. It's, it's counterintuitive to faith is what it is. Counterintuitive to faith. Because look what's happening here to Abram in a vision. Through this vision, the Lord is speaking to Abraham and he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am your shield, Abram, your exceedingly great reward. How can you tell a person that the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the acts and the behavior of the Holy Spirit in terms of comfort and in terms of power? How can you tell a person, how can you tell a soul that it was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. When you see such beautiful things, through this vision, look at what the Lord is saying to Abram. Let's continue. Look at verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So, you know, Abram has servants in his home, and in his tent, and like, Lord, I don't have anybody. All I have is this servant. Do I give is everything? Is that my descendants? Is it going to be through Eliezer of Damascus? In verse 3, then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Or indeed, a servant is how that translates. Born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. I love this interaction because, you know, the Lord says something. Abram responds, and then Lord responds. You know, Lord, is it Eliezer? You know, is, 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 is it my servant? And then the Lord says, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. You ever look at the night sky? If you might live in a big city, you look at the night sky, you see like the moon, Maybe two stars, the biggest stars out there, but you can't see the little ones. So maybe it's a starless night, you know, because the city lights are too bright. But you go out into the boonies, you go out into the desert, you go out into the middle of the ocean, and you look up, no city lights. What do you see? Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful canvas. 
beautiful, beautiful canvas of all these bright, shiny dots all over the place. And that's what the Lord is saying to Abram. Count these if you're able to. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Whoa. Abram's an old man. He has an old wife. She's barren. And the Lord is telling him, so shall your descendants be. Just like the stars that you see in the sky, Abram. No city lights. Just like these stars. If you can count them, so shall your descendants be. And then verse 6 is so beautiful. This is Abram. And he believed in the Lord. And look what the Lord does. And he, speaking of the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. You see how beautiful this is? Whoa. I mean, here we have the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. What did Abram have? He didn't have the full counsel of the word of God. Like, we're spoiled today. We're so spoiled today. He didn't have that. But the Lord was still speaking to him. That's what I love so much about, you know, Moses, about the prophets. It's like, what scripture did they have? I mean, we're spoiled. We have scripture. You know, we have these examples. What did Abram have? And because of Abram, he believed in the Lord. And the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. It's very important to understand this in, in light of what we're going to look at in Romans 4. But before we touch on Romans 4, let's turn really super quick to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Do you hear mockers when they make fun of you? They talk about, oh, you know, you believe in, you know, pie in the sky. You believe in this. You believe in, you know, fake. You believe in the fairy tale. And it's so sad. It breaks my heart. Sometimes I get sad and it's like, you know, they think like, you know, oh, you know, look, you're so, so sad. You're so weak. But, you know, they don't realize I'm praying for them. I'm sad for them. They say, you know, oh, you believe in fairy tales. But you know what faith is, my friend? The substance. Fairy tales have no substance. Pie in the sky has no substance. It's something entirely unseen, except the Lord is saying here through the word that there's a substance to it. What is the substance? It's the substance of things hoped for. I mean, have you ever thought of your faith and your hope as an actual substance? Scientifically speaking, a substance, I mean, it's tangible, scientifically speaking. Tangible to a certain degree, I mean, you know, there are certain unseen tangibilities. And then what happens? The eyes of faith begin to open. The very substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. There's this common phraseology behind it where, you know, you can see the effect of the wind, but you can't see the wind. You can see the reeds, you know, uh, go side to side. You can see big, long, tall blades of grass move side to side. You can't see the wind, but you know the wind is there. Very similar when it comes to our faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And then you kind of get sad for the mockers. 
Oh, you believe in this, you believe in that, it's so fake. And it's like, wow, you don't know what you're saying. And you have compassion for them. Why? Because the Lord changed your heart. Somebody mocks you and in your old nature, you wanted to knock their teeth out. But because the Lord gave you a new spirit, a new heart, you're like weeping for them. Wow, Lord, open up their eyes of faith. Use me, put Christians in their path. You have compassion for them. Look at verse 8, still in Hebrews 11. Let's look at verse 8. What we just read in Genesis 15 about Abraham, you know, before his name changed, Abram. But then look what happens here in uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. When he w- and when he went out, not and, and he went out not knowing where he was going. I love passages such as this. Not knowing where he was going. The Lord says, Abraham, go. And the Lord, Abraham's like, okay, I'll go. But he didn't have clarity on where he would go. That's some hardcore faith. Remember, what scripture did Abraham have? What examples did he have? You know, we today, we're so spoiled. Look at all these examples. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What cloud of witnesses did Abraham have? You see? And because of his faith and his obedience to the voice of the Lord, it was accounted to him for righteousness, just like we read in Genesis 15. He had no idea where he was going. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. You don't have to know the how, the what, the why. But when you have intimacy with the Lord, you know the who, Jesus Christ. By faith in verse 9. He dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he waited for, you know this word for, he, he waited for, it's, it's like a wait. I mean, you say, what's the difference between wait and wait? Well, you know, in my opinion, there's a huge difference. Because when you await, it's like with great anticipation. You know, it's, you see, remember verse 9, he says, by faith, he dwelt. But then in verse 10 says, for he awaited, or he waited, but how it translates, he awaited. To dwell and to await, does that ring a bell? For any of us today, I pray it does. Because in your walk with the Lord, at any given time, usually at any given time, you're going to be in a state of dwelling. And in your state of dwelling, whatever it is, what are you awaiting? Blessed hope. The appearing of Jesus Christ. When you lean on God's promises, what are those things that you're hopeful for and you're awaiting? Maybe the salvation of your son, salvation of your daughter, salvation of a spouse, salvation of a family, a friend. You're dwelling in whatever station in life, in whatever tent, figuratively speaking. And you're still in a state of hope. And by faith, you're awaiting for, you know, maybe you've been praying for somebody. And then at the same time, you know, you look even 
forward looking from that moment. You know, say you're praying for, you, you know, by faith, it's like, okay, you know, Lord, you know, I hope and I have faith and Lord, I pray I'm going to intercede. I'm gonna, I pray for this on this person and for this family. I pray for them and for this, uh, whoever, you know, a little boy, I pray for him and for this, you know, teenager, I pray for her and for this old guy, I pray for him. And, you know, you have this, this substance of hope and by faith you're seeking the Lord the face of the Lord making your prayers and petitions known to him and you're very forward-looking because you don't know when the Lord's gonna respond you don't know how the Lord's gonna respond but you don't have to know how when why you just need to know the who Jesus Christ But even more forward-looking, just like Abraham in verse 10 says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You look at correlating verses in Hebrews 12 verse 22, Revelation 21 verse 10, and you know what it's referring to? Jerusalem on the earth and then the new Jerusalem. Zion, our home, our home. That's straight up Genesis, Genesis 15. And Revelation 21, 10. In Genesis 15, that's, that's what he was waiting for. Abraham, way back in Genesis he didn't have a huge cloud of witnesses. We're spoiled. We have a tremendous, huge cloud of witnesses. What did Abraham have? And he believed in the Lord. And it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. And even while he was dwelling in tents, he was forward looking to Jerusalem. Jerusalem proper and Jerusalem heavenly. The new Jerusalem. Whoa. Now that, my friend, is some faith. That is some faith. Praise be to the Lord that he is included in this great cloud of witnesses for you and for me. Let his witness be a tool for us to open our own eyes of faith. Even more so, you might have little squinty eyes of faith. Where it's like, you know, Lord, I kind of hope for this and I pray for this. And, you know, I, 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 by faith, I, I want this to happen. But I don't know, Lord, I think I'm going to talk with my CPA. I don't know, Lord, I think I'm going to talk with my attorney first. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. Ah, this isn't, you know, oh, my, my pastor told me that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit works like that for 2,000 years ago. So uh, I, I'm not going to ask. Oh, my, 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 my parents told me that the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. The Holy Spirit works. That was just for 2,000 years ago. So, you know, I'm not going to ask. You see how dangerous this crazy doctrine is? When people start to say that, you know, the moving of the Holy Spirit was for 2,000 years ago. And then they lock, they confine the Holy Spirit to the book of Acts and that alone. Or for a different dispensation. 
How can the Lord work in such a person? How can the Lord work through such a person when the Lord has to first work inside that person? That's the danger of false doctrine. That's the danger of crazy town. You can never enter crazy town. If you go into crazy town, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to become crazy. Now, the only way you can go into crazy town is when you've learned how to fight. You've rolled around on the mat. You know how to fight. You know how to conduct yourself in a combat situation, hand-to-hand combat. Learn to hold the shield and use the shield and hold the sword and use the sword. Then you can go into crazy town and you're a vessel of the Lord. The Lord's going to use you to make that town uncrazy. Just like he did with Moses. You know, out of Egypt, the Lord worked on him. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, okay, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. Except you're different. Moses, I'm taking you out of crazy town. I'm going to work on you. And now that I'm done working on you, I'm not done, but now that I have done this work in you, and I'm not done yet, now I'm going to do a work through you. And I'm going to send you back to crazy town. That's what the Lord does. Not just with Moses. You see all over the place, Old Testament and New Testament. The question is for you and for me, who among us has intimacy with the Lord? The real Lord, or the Lord of, you know, the word of the Lord. Not, you know, some New York Times bestseller about, you know, uh, you know, how to have uh, faith, how to have whatever written by Joe Schmo. This other New York Times bestseller written by uh, Joe Schmuckatelli. You see? Intimacy with the Lord, with your maker who loves you. Who loves you. I have no word in my vocabulary to tell you how much he loves you. But so much that, you know, our father gave his only begotten son as a propitiation for your sin. That's how much he loves you. To take his only begotten son and use his only begotten son as a transfer of your sin. To take your sin and place it upon His only begotten Son and have His only begotten Son pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. That's how much God loves you. That's how much our Lord, our Father in Heaven wants to be with you. How much He desires Intimacy with you. The creator of all things. And he desires intimacy with you. Now, let's go to Romans 4. Okay, Romans 4. I got to tell you something, you know, I, I have to drink a hot, nice hot, hot, you know, drink tea or coffee because my throat really hurts. But sometimes I, I really try hard not to slurp because I, I just don't want you guys to hear it. 
but you know how sometimes like you try not to do something and you're like focused on trying not to do it that you end up doing it that's what i do right now so if you happen to hear it slurp i'm sorry i don't want you to hear it slurp and i'm not trying to uh i, I try really hard not to have distractions when we're studying the word i really really i don't want there to be distractions when we're studying the word of god because it's important the things that we study the things that we cover it's important for your soul but my throat hurts. <laughs> it hurts. You know, I have to drink something hot. So, you know, maybe I'll get a straw or something. I don't know. But, you know, so I, I apologize. You know, if you hear the slurpees, you know, I apologize. I don't want you to hear it because I don't want you to be distracted. And so sometimes when I say, you know, let's turn here. Like, you know, as you're turning, I'm like taking a quick swig, you know, a quick. Uh, I shouldn't say swig, but, you know, a quick drink. You know, I'm taking a quick drink. Because my throat, it's like on fire. And so look what happens here in chapter 4, the book of Romans, verse 1. says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh, or has obtained according to the flesh? Now, remember that the church here in Rome, they're like a baby, baby church. I would say not a church of sheep, a church of lambs, little baby lambs. You know, and it's so beautiful. You know, this precious, precious church and how Paul is exhorting the church, but he's also rocking their world about the law and saying, you know, giving, you know, truth about what the law really is. You know, he speaks in, in, in uh, chapter two, he's talking about Jew. You know, he is not in, in, in chapter two, verse 28. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. But he, in verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Whoa. What does that say? I mean, imagine if, you know, if we were, if we go back in time and we're in the camp of Israel and we're Jews. Like, you know, in accordance to the law and to hear somebody say here, a Pharisee, a Pharisee's former Paul. Say this. You know how that, how much that would rock our world, like to the core then he says in chapter 2, verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Remember, kryptos, kryptos, which is the hidden, inward, secret, private, and concealed part. He says in verse 29, chapter 2, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And then you get into chapter 3, and what does he speak of? The law of of faith in chapter 3 verse 27 where is boasting then it, it is excluded by what law of works no but by the law of faith verse 31 chapter 3 do we then make void the law through faith question mark certainly not exclamation point on the contrary we establish the law Whoa. Do you see what a jolt to the church this truth is? And I don't mean jolt like a bad way. I, I, I mean jolt in as something so incredibly beautiful. What a jolt to the system for both Jew and Gentile to understand the truth of God's holy word and how beautiful it is how the Lord uses Paul. 
to set this church straight. Not in a bad way. Maybe I shouldn't say to set them straight, but to set a straight path before them. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. And praise be to the Lord because we're still being taught today 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. And so, and you think, okay, Paul, okay, whoa, you're rocking our world, Paul. First you talk about circumcision. You talk about, you know, he's not really a Jew, but the Jews are really this. You're talking about the law of faith. Oh my goodness, Paul, you're rocking our world. And in boom, chapter 4, verse 1, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? Whoa, Paul's not done. He's going for the jugular. Metaphysically speaking, not like going for the jugular, literally, but in a very spiritual sense, going for the jugular to teach them. And sometimes when you're a teacher, be it pastor, elder, you know, Bible teacher, women's leader, women's ministry, youth leaders, sometimes you have to go for the jugular. Sometimes you have to, metaphysically speaking. Because sometimes people, they get coerced into all kinds of crazy doctrines being tossed to and fro, and you have to go for the jugular. And somebody says, oh, you're talking about circumcision, that's too much. Well, you're talking about the law of faith, that's too much. Stop, stop, that's too much. Just like Paul, to lambs. What about Father Abraham, guys? That's what Paul is saying. Remember, the Pharisees, they, they rested their hats on the law of Moses, on Father Abraham. They rested their laurels. Oh, we're hardcore. We're of Moses. Oh, we're of, you know, we're Abraham. You know, we're of our father Abraham. And so Paul, beautiful, beautiful Paul, straight up going for the jugular, spiritually speaking. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father has found or has obtained according to the flesh. Now you think, Father Abraham, he's speaking to the Jews. Father Abraham, so he's speaking to the Jews. Is he really speaking to the Jews? No, he's, well, yes, but he's also speaking to Gentiles. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean he's speaking to the Gentiles? Turn to Galatians 3, super quick. Galatians 3. And in Galatians 3, look what happens here. Galatians 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's that concept, how it translates, is like sinking into a garment. You see a little kid, you know, wearing an adult t-shirt. You know, that's what I used to do when I was a kid. I was a little kid and I used to wear my dad's t-shirts as my pajamas. I didn't have any pajamas. So I just wore my dad's shirt. And I loved it so much. I'd be like a huge old, like swimming in my dad's, you know, t-shirt. And how beautiful it is. You know, how much more our Father in heaven to put on Jesus Christ. Son of the Most High God. That's what he says here in verse 27. Or many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither. There is neither. If you have a highlighter, highlight verse 28. This is in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29 is hardcore. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Whoa. Remember the Lord? And the Lord says, hey, Abram, look up in the sky. Look up at the stars and if you're able to count them. If you're able to. Such it's going to be like your heirs. And I'm not Jewish. You might be Jewish. If you're listening and you're Jewish, praise be to the Lord. I pray you're Messianic. You know, if you're not Messianic and you're waiting for uh, uh, a Messiah and you don't think Jesus Christ was a Messiah, listen to our sermons in Leviticus. Because everything in the law, the feasts, the festivals, the, the statutes, everything points to Jesus Christ. Everything as a shadow of the things to come. And if you're a Gentile and you're in the faith of Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, welcome to the family. I mean, it, depending on how long it's been, I mean, it could have been a while ago. But welcome to the family of Abraham. Because you are an heir of Abraham, according to the promise. That's you, Christian. You can be from, you know, Timbuktu. You know, you can be from Kentucky. You can be from Maine. You can be from uh, Jersey, you know. Jersey, I don't know however they say it. You can be from Texas. You can be from Oklahoma. You can be from Nebraska. You can be from, uh, you know, you speak Swahili. Greece. Oh, but I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Hey, welcome to the family. Heirs. Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, I just gave like a little short version of, of what Paul is going to expound upon hardcore in Romans 4. Let's go back to Romans 4. So put yourself in the church in Rome and, you know, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Somebody says, okay, can you read it? No, I'm not educated. Can you read it? No, I didn't go to school. Who can read it? Somebody raises his hand. I can read it. I'm educated. I know. Because remember, you know, the people who could read back in these days, people who could read were like the educated, typically higher society, you know, higher echelon of society, socioeconomically speaking. Those were the ones who had, were able to read. The other ones, the, the other people who couldn't read, they were usually the poorer class. You know, maybe middle class, low end middle class. And they were like, you know, the workers. They'd do like, you know, hard labor and labor work with their hands. You know, not to say that the, you know, upper class didn't work with their hands, but, you know, a lot of times they could hire people to do that. And what I love so much is that you have these people in the church. Educated, uneducated, and in Christ, you know what happens? They learn from the Lord. Just like Peter. Remember when Peter was standing before the religious leaders? A fisherman. A fisherman. Fisherman class, they weren't readers. They weren't intellectuals. And here Peter is, you know, battling. Battling doctrinally with the religious leaders. And then they knew that he walked with Jesus Christ. They knew that he had intimacy with Jesus Christ. And they marveled. Who is this guy? He's a fisherman. He doesn't know how to read. 
He doesn't know. How is he able to talk about the scriptures like this? He didn't go to school. He's poor class. He's not like us. We're of the elite. We're the aristocrats. We're the religious establishment. And here Peter, Peter was battling with these guys. Hand-to-hand combat, spiritually speaking. Hand-to-hand combat and being used of the Lord. And they hated him. Remember they were cut to the heart? And instead of saying, Peter, what shall we do? They said, hey, let's kill this guy. Let's kill Peter. Let's beat him up. Let's, you know, imprison him. Praise be to the Lord. That's what's so beautiful about this church that we're reading in the church in Rome. And we're going to read about more churches. But this beautiful church in Rome, what do you have? It's like, wow, you know, poor, rich, it doesn't matter. Slave, free, male, female, it doesn't matter. Heirs, according to the promise, the seed of Abraham. So all of a sudden, you know, we got this letter from Paul say we're in the church in Rome. We got a letter, runner comes in. Hey, we got a letter from Paul. Okay, read it to us. I can't read. Okay, here, hand it to this guy. Can you read it? No, I can't read either. Hand it to this guy. I, I, I can read it. I, I think I can make it out. So this person reads. And then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, you know, Paul's talking about, you know, people who are Jews aren't really Jews. He's talking about circumcision. What? He's talking about the law of faith. I've never heard about this law of faith. Now he's speaking about Abraham. You know, you're reading the letter, you know, reading the letter aloud to the churches. He's speaking about Abraham. You assume, oh, he's talking to the Jews. But wait a second. In verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works... Remember, according to the flesh in verse 1, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. I mean, look at Abraham, the, the, the patriarch. Wow, Abraham. Wow, that's quite impressive. And that's what Paul is saying here. He has something to boast about. If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Wow, Abraham, look at the number of your heirs. Wow. That's quite impressive. That's if he were justified by works. But Paul is saying, you know what? He's not justified by works. You know why? Because if he, were, if he was justified by works, sure, he has something to boast about. But look at the end of verse 2. But not before God. Not before God. So what does that mean? Are we justified by works? No way. No way. Remember Romans 2 verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. There is no favoritism with God. King James Version says God is no respecter of persons. You could be rich. You could be poor. You can be stinky. You can smell good. You can be chubby. You can be skinny. You can be a young person. You could be an old person. God has no partiality. He doesn't care. You know, in Leviticus, you hear me say in our earlier studies, you know, he doesn't care about your abs. He doesn't care about your flabs. So many times people say, you know, oh, you know, I got, I got to take care of this temple. You know, I got to take care of this temple. They're carnally speaking, they're referring to a temple, the body. But, you know, the Bible refers to a temple, the body. But what's going on inside? Where's the circumcision? Remember, chapter 2, verse 29. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but, but, but from God. Where is physique mentioned here? 
Where is figure mentioned here? Where is abs mentioned in here? Where is flabs mentioned in here? Oh, but I got to take care of this temple. Open your eyes to faith, my friend. Open your eyes to faith. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick in your heart. And so let's look what happens here in Romans 4. Not before God. Romans 4 verse 2. If Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? I love that. Highlight that. If you have, you know, I don't want to lord over your faith. I don't want to compel you to do anything. But if you have a highlighter, maybe, a, I don't know if there's a word for it, like a little compulsion. Maybe like a little, a little push. Eh, push sounds too bad. Maybe like a little nudge, a little tap, a little tap in the right direction. But if you have a highlighter or a pen or whatever you use, Highlight this part of verse 3. This first part. For what does the scripture say? That's hardcore. Any questions you have in life, no matter what it is, what does the scripture say? Any doctrinal issues you come across, what does the scripture say? You listen to a guy on TBN, what I call tricking believers nightly. It's like, oh, that doesn't sound right. Well, what does the scripture say? Oh, you know, my friend wants me to go to the strip club. What does the scripture say? Oh, my other friend, he's calling. He wants to go do crack. What does the scripture say? Oh, there's this girl. She keeps calling me and she wants to take me to church. What does the scripture say? You see, and then like, you know, you read scripture and you understand, wow, you know, I'm not going to go to the strip club with this guy. I'm not going to go do crack with this guy. But my friend over here, she's inviting me to church. I'm going to go to this church. And then you go into the church and you have crazy pastor. What does the scripture say? Okay, I'm in church, but this is a crazy pastor. He's in crazy town. Or, you know, she invites you to church. You go to church and you sit down. It's like, wow, you know what? This guy is teaching. Or, you know, maybe you sit down in church and the lady's teaching. You know, it's a four-square church. You know, Pastor Jennifer, Pastor uh, 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 Linda. It's like, wait a second. That's, that doesn't follow. That's, that's unbiblical. Women can't be teachers of men. Biblically speaking. Okay, crazy town. Pastor Jennifer, Pastor Linda, you know, hello, nice to meet you, but you know what? This is crazy town. I'm out. You have a choice to make. For what does the scripture say? That's a hardcore question that will save you. If you apply it in your life, if you ask that question of yourself, what does the scripture say? So friend number one says, hey, let's go do crack. You say, no. Friend number two says, hey, let's go to the strip club. What does the scripture say? You don't do that. So you say, no, thanks. You know what? Maybe we can't be friends anymore. You talk to your crack friend. Maybe we can't be friends anymore. One girl invites you to church and you go there to church. And then all of a sudden you're sitting in the pews. You're listening to the pastor teach. It's like, wow, you know what? This aligns with scripture. Wow, this aligns with scripture. What does the scripture say? Wow, you know what? You know, he, this guy, he's connecting the dots for me. And like, okay, cool. What does the scripture say? That's how you're a Berean, my friend. Look at Thessalonica. Remember how the chaos that was in Thessalonica in our study in the book of Acts? Look at all the chaos that was in Thessalonica. And then you read a little bit further. 
And look at Berea. No chaos. You know why? Because they were Bereans. <laughs> they were Bereans. They checked the scripture. They studied the scripture. They asked of themselves this question, what does the scripture say? That's why I say highlight this. And ask it of yourself. What does the scripture say? You have questions about X, Y, Z? What does the scripture say? You have questions about 1, 2, 3? What does the scripture say? And you don't know what the scripture says? Maybe you're like, you know, young in the faith. Or maybe you're old in the faith and you've never really rightly divided the word of God. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years, 30 years, and you're still on milk. Me personally, I don't like that. But it's not to say I don't like that, you know, you, how dare you, how dare you, but you know, I don't like that. But you know what? Let's learn. Let's learn together. Let's rightly divide the word of God. So what does the scripture say? And you're like, I don't know. Well, I don't know what the scripture says. You know what you do? You request counsel. Godly counsel. Not crazy damn counsel. Somebody says, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. That It doesn't work like that anymore. That was for another dispensation because so says whoever. Whoever makes schmuckatelli to those who have ears. <laughs> You're going to receive counsel from those people? Crazy town is all around us. But praise be to the Lord. You know why? Because we're surrounded. We can shoot in every direction. Metaphysically speaking. To fight. Train up and be equipped. And how beautiful it is to see order in the house of God. Godly order. To see order and beauty. To see green pastures and still waters in the fold of Christ. How beautiful it is. How sweet it is. You know what it is? Safety. That's what it is. Safety. The righteous run into Him and all are safe. It's the Lord. 100%. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's what we read in Genesis 15. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, mind you, there's no Ten Commandments in, in Genesis 15. No Ten Commandments. And you know what else? No cross. The cloud of witnesses that we have today for you, for me today, because we're spoiled. Abraham didn't have that. A great cloud of witnesses. And Abraham believed God. This word for believe, to believe God here, it's in verse, in verse 3. It's uh, pistieo, pistieo in the Greek, which is uh, it's faith, but it's hardcore. It's deep in trusting, to commit trust and to place trust. It's deep and profound and extreme trust. I'll give you an example. Who in your life is the number one person that you can trust? Might be a spouse, might be a close family member. Who is the number one person in your life that you can trust? You take that person and you throw them out the door in your mind. <laughs> take that person. And you throw them out the door. You know why? 
because you have God and you trust in the Lord. A million times, infinity times, infinity times more than you do that one person that you can trust, that you do trust more than anything. You can trust that person. You've entrusted whatever to that person. More than whoever that person is. You take that person, you throw them out the door, metaphysically speaking. And that's your level of trust unto the Lord. Not the level of trust, like a million times more. That's what pistieo means in the Greek. Abraham believed God, but it was deep and profound trust in the Lord. Remember, no great cloud of witnesses. But Abraham had this deep and profound trust and faith in the Lord. That's what it says here in verse 3. Abraham believed God. So it says Abraham believed God, but you can translate that as Abraham had hardcore trust in the Lord. That's my translation because I'm trying to illustrate this for you. That's the level of trust that Abraham had. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, in verse 4, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. That's such an interesting concept. To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt, something owed. You know, in the law, the wages of sin is death. You hear me say that a lot. The wages of sin is death. Now, if you're not a believer and you hear me say that, which is a biblical truth, the wages of sin is death, that should terrify you. Because when I reflect back when I was a non-believer and in sin, and to hear the wages of sin is death, that terrified me. That terrified me. And then I read further, for God so loved the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then I, then I started to learn about the love of the Lord. People say, oh, don't use fear tactics. You know, tell people about the love of God. Don't, don't tell people about judgment. Don't mention judgment. Don't mention God's wrath. What? Where, where, do, you, where do you get off saying that? Who gives such counsel? Carnal people give such counsel. You know, the, uh, the schmoozers, the uh, uh, sales pitch, people who reduce the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. It's not a sales pitch. Oh, tell about God's love. Attract people to Jesus Christ through love, but don't, don't scare them. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about condemnation, damnation, hell, fire, brimstone. Don't mention that stuff. How is that even biblical? To exclude hell, to exclude wrath. You talk about salvation? You tell me uh, I need to be saved? I mean, if, if you're presenting the good news to me and you're excluding wrath, why do I need to be saved? Saved from what? It harkens to our study in Romans 1. Paul says in Romans 1 verse 15, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation. He says, okay, let's do this. I'm going to give you the gospel and I'm going to teach you more about the gospel. And you know what he does? <laughs> Goes for the juggler again. 
the jugular, the beautiful, beautiful jugular. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. Boom. The wrath of God is revealed. Now, you know, when you're talking to somebody about the good news, of course, tell them about the love of the Lord. But when you mention salvation, salvation, it cannot exclude hell. It cannot exclude wrath. It cannot exclude judgment. You know, it cannot exclude hard truths. Look at all the people in the book of Romans who were cut to the heart. You say, oh, I don't, I don't want to cut to the heart. Well, if you're a messenger of truth, it's not you that's cutting the heart. It's the Lord. Remember, truth, God's holy word, is sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper. It cuts. You don't need me to tell you this. Have you ever read the Bible and you open it up and you read one little verse and it's like a knife right in your heart? One little tiny verse and it's like a knife right in your heart. You know why? Because the Word of God is sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Have you ever had like a dull a dull machete? You know, you go to the third world, everybody's got machetes, you know? Little kids got machetes, you know? They're like, well, be careful with that. And they're like, you know, hacking away at stuff. But a dull machete, hack, 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 boom, finally open the coconut. But a sharp machete, one little slice. No hacking, no, you know, hack, 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 hack. It's just one little swing and coconut's open. Sharper than that is the word of God. When you're a messenger of truth, a messenger of God's holy word, truth will cut to the heart. And it will hurt the hearer, the listener. It will hurt. As surely as the Lord lives, it will hurt. But then what happens at that point? It's it's out of your hands. Remember, men were cut to the heart and they say, Peter, what 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 do we do? Peter says, repent and be saved. Repent, you know, receive the Holy Spirit and be baptized. Peter, the same guy, gives truth. Men were cut to the heart, just like before, except these religious leaders. They don't say, Peter, what do we do? They look to each other and say, hey, let's kill this guy. Because they were cut to the heart. Their feelings were hurt. When you read the Bible... The Lord, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, he'll hurt your feelings. But it's not for the sake of hurting you. It's for the sake of you aligning with him. Yielding to the Holy Spirit. That's how he works. And so let's go back to Romans 4 now. In verse 4, Not to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So, you know, the wages of sin is death. So how does that equate? You do sin, okay, your wage is death. If you're not in Christ, 
If you are not in Christ and you are in sin, well, the wage of that is sin. It's not going to be pretty for you when you take your last breath. Whenever that might be, it's not going to be pretty for you. Anybody who dies without Jesus Christ will burn in hell. Biblical truth. But you know why? Because the wages of sin is death. So what does that mean? You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To repent and believe and receive Jesus Christ. And then another interesting dichotomy starts to appear. You do works. Well, you do works unto the Lord. Your wage is not an asset. It's a liability. What do I mean by saying that? Your wage, when you do works, your wage is not grace, but rather it's a debt. It's something owed to him who works. It's not counted as grace. Now, if you have your, remember your highlighter that I mentioned from verse three, pick up your highlighter again. And in verse four, highlight the word works and then highlight are not counted as grace. That's going to blow you away. Works are not counted as grace. That's it. Just highlight that. Works are not counted as grace. That's a pretty hardcore message to Catholics. If you're a Catholic listening, I love you. I don't hate you. But your doctrine is wrong. Your doctrine is crazy town. Come out of crazy town. If you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're listening to my words, your doctrine, it's crazy town. If you're a Mormon, I love you. I don't think I said that for the Jehovah's Witness. I love you too. <laughs> but if you're a Mormon, your doctrine is crazy town. Oh, but we believe in Jesus Christ. No, you believe in a different Jesus. That's idolatry. It's not the Jesus of the Word of God. Oh, but the Book of Mormon teaches... Wait, wait, wait. I'm not talking about the Book of Mormon. I'm talking about the Holy Bible. That's it. I'm, I'm talking about the Holy Bible. Genesis to Revelation. Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Moroni. Levi. I don't mean to offend you. But the truth of God's holy word is very offensive to the carnal nature. Remember, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You have to be very, very careful with it. I mean, you, ever, you know, baby girl, you see baby girl, a little, uh, uh, we'll say, I'll just pick an arbitrary number. I'll say three. <laughs> so, baby girl, you know, you have a little butter knife. Be careful with the butter knife. Yeah, it's still sharp. You're young. You don't know how to use it. Are you going to give, you know, a super duper sharp steak knife to baby girl? No, you know how dangerous that is. Because she needs to learn how to use it. She can cut herself. She can hurt herself. And maybe hurt another person. So young in the faith, you know, understand that this weapon we have before us, the, word, the, the holy word of God, it's the sword of the spirit. It's a sharp weapon. It's a sharp tool. You have to be very careful with it. You have to rightly divide the word of God. Rightly divide. Not crazy town. Not concocting these crazy doctrines. But adhering to the truth of God's holy word. 
oh, I don't, you know, I'm a Catholic. I don't like how you say this. Well, the Lord rescued me out of Catholicism. Where in the world do you read in the Holy Bible about purgatory? And praying to Mary, you go to Mass and you pray to Mary to rescue your dead relatives. And for Mary to rescue your dead relatives from purgatory and usher, usher them into heaven, to Jesus Christ. Where do you hear that? Where do you ever hear of Mary as an intercessor? In the Word of God. I know it's in, you, you, you have your Vatican councils. I, I, I know it's there. Why is it? That included in the plan of salvation in accordance to the catechism of Rome is the means of salvation outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? If righteousness comes by any means other than Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, then Jesus Christ died in vain. So you hear me talk about Roman Catholicism is crazy town? I don't just say it to offend you. I say it because it is legit crazy town. It's, oh, but I love the Lord. I'm a Catholic. I love the Lord. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I love the Lord. I love Jesus Christ. I'm a Mormon. I love Jesus Christ. You know what I say? Praise the Lord. Leave crazy town. Get out of crazy town and stand on the rock of salvation, firm foundation, sound doctrine, rightly dividing the word of God. I love you. I don't want to hurt you. But truth hurts. Truth always hurts me. That's how we're shaped. That's how we're transformed. In the course of time, I've just learned, okay, you know, Lord, you know, I welcome it now. I used to shun. I used to like run away. I don't like to. I don't like to. I was a little snowflake. I don't like to have my little feelers hurt. So I used to run away like a little snowflake. And finally, I was in a situation where I couldn't run. And the Lord hammered me. It happened to be jail. <laughs> Can't do a lot of running in jail. <sighs> and the Lord hammered me. Hardcore, he hammered me. And that's when my life changed. Praise be to the Lord. Praise the Lord for jail, man. It's, you know, that's why, you know, sometimes I've had moms call me. You know, they're crying. Oh, my son is in jail. And I, my son is in jail. And I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. And they're like, you know, you hear a long pause on the phone. What did you say? I said, praise the Lord. But maybe you didn't hear me. My son is in jail. I'll say it louder. Oh, praise the Lord. He's so good. What are you talking about? And then I start to tell them. Man, the Lord did wonders for me in jail. Man, the Lord just messed me up in jail. I needed that. I so needed that. And then, you know, moms hang up on me. Click. Hang up on me. What do you expect me to do? What do you expect me to say? You know, some, you have an 18-year-old kid who's in jail. You have a 19-year-old kid who's in jail. You failed as a parent. I mean, if that's you. As a parent, you failed. Failure. F, that's your grade, F, as a parent. You do not teach your child. Now, it's not to say, okay, you're going to burn in hell. It's to say, no, let's, let's fix this situation. Let's address this. Well, you know, this problem that you're facing with your 18-year-old, that could have easily been fixed when he was two. 
that could have easily been fixed when he was five, when he was 10. It's going to get a little bit harder as they get older because they start to grow up, you know? You can't throw a kid around when he's like 15 and, you know, a linebacker. But when he's two, you can throw him around. Now, metaphysically speaking, you know, I don't mean throw around your two-year-old. But building blocks, discipline, teaching him, teaching her, teaching your children. Oh, but I want to be my kid's best friend. I, want, I don't want to be a parent. I want to be their best friend. Eli did the same thing. The high priest. You know what the Lord did to Eli? He killed him. The Lord killed Eli and his sons. Be very careful. If you're a parent and you're like, oh, I want to be my kid's best friend, be very careful. Because your kids need to understand deep spiritual things. They need to. You know why? Because the Lord wants that. He desires godly offspring. That's what He desires. He gives a, for me, He gives a pretty scary alternative to parents. I won't mention it. I mention it every now and then. But if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. I'll give you a little hint. It includes a millstone. That's scary stuff. So in verse 4, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So it's like, you know, oh, I'm a Catholic. I, you know, I go on my knees and, you know, I, you know, how they do the annual thing where they crawl on their knees around the church and then they go up the stairs. He said, old people crawl bloody knees and they're crawling. And they go to step one and they say a prayer. Step two, rosary. Step three, rosary. Step four, rosary. And old people, they're done at the end of the day. Their knees were all bloody. If that's you, remember what I told you to highlight in verse 4? Works are not counted as grace. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. Your bloody knees. You do, oh, my priest, the priest, you know. He's told me to do this. We'll crawl around. We'll crawl on my knees and pray. And crawl up the stairs. He told me to do this. It's meaningless. This person is not teaching you truth. Whoever your priest is. Father, whoever. Father, you know, fill in the blank. Whatever his name is. You don't call anybody father. You know, only God is father. And it just blows me away. You know, you have the Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on your doors. Like, man, the J-dubs are here. Oh, man, who is it knocking on the door? You know, you look through the little people. Oh, man, it's the J-dubs. Well, you know what's so sad? The J-dubs, they come knocking on the door. And you know what happens? It's like, you know, they're working their way to salvation. Works-based. It's like a sales, you know, sales environment. You know the you know the highest number of sales, highest number of converts. You get to go to heaven. If you don't meet the quota, then you're gonna burn in hell. It's works based. Mormonism, you know, it's all works based. And when you die, you get another planet. You get to be God of this other planet. It's like what? That's really what Mormons believe? Yes, that's what Mormons believe. You get to be God of your own planet. Crazy town. 
Now, if you're Mormon, if you're J-Dub, if you're Catholic, you know, I love you. I love you more than you can possibly even imagine. I love you. I don't want to hurt you, even though I'm saying these things that I know probably hurt you. But you need truth. You say, yeah, I'm Mormon. Yeah, I'm J-Dub. Yeah, I'm Catholic. But you know what? I love Jesus Christ and I rejoice. And I rejoice by saying this. Exit crazy town. Leave Catholicism. Leave J-Dubs. Leave Mormonism. And come to Christ. And abide in Christ for all your days. And as you grow and you matriculate, you might be a Moses. Where the Lord takes you out of crazy town. He does a work inside of you. He teaches you. He trains you up. And then all of a sudden he says, okay, you know what? You were a former J-Dub. I took you out of crazy town. And now that you're ready, now that you're mine, you're my messenger, I'm going to send you back into crazy town. So look what happens here. Verse 4, him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. You know how beautiful verse 5 is? To those who have been working for salvation, working for uh, like to be saved. Faith is accounted for righteousness. You don't have to work. You believe in Jesus Christ. And this word for believe in verse 5, it's the same one as Abraham believed God. It's to have deep faith, deep, profound, and extreme trust in the Lord. You take the number one person that's close to you that you trust. You can just, whatever, you know, they're not going to hurt you. You trust whoever it is. You take that person and you throw them out the door. In your mind, metaphysically speaking. And you know who's there? Jesus Christ. And you have trust, deep, 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 profound trust in Him. A million times, infinity times more than that person you just threw out the door. Just like Abraham did. How he believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that the same could be said of you. Him, he, he, or she, who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith or her faith is accounted for righteousness. Understand, as a Christian, if you're Christian and you're listening, I, I assume that's the case. <laughs> but you never know. We're not saved by works. You must understand we're not saved by works. I've been accused of that. Oh, you teach oh, as, as uh, works-based salvation. No, I don't. We're not saved by works. But there's also an interesting concept here. which And I love how the Lord raises the bar with us. So we're not saved by works. But remember the thief on the cross? You know, it's so beautiful when you read the Gospels in chronological order. Because you know what happens? You have these mockers who say, Oh yeah, there's such a, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Because, you know, you, when you, re, you read a, a, a certain book, it says that the two thieves, they were mocking Jesus Christ. 
And then the mockers, they say, oh, you see, there's a contradiction in the Bible. You shouldn't believe the Bible. It's fake. But you know what happens when you read the, 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 the Gospels in chronological order? You see a conversion. Yes, two thieves were mocking Jesus Christ. Three crosses were up. Jesus Christ in the middle, one on the left, a thief on the left, and a thief on the right. Both thieves dying. Jesus Christ dying. And both thieves were mocking our Lord. Look at the pride of life, the pride of heart, even in a state where you're about ready to, to die. And they're mocking Jesus Christ. And in the course of time, briefly, I mean, they, 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 were, they were bleeding, they were in pain, they were beaten. They're on a cross. Uh, so death is imminent. Both were mocking Jesus Christ. And then briefly, in the course of time, not a long period of time, one of them says to the other, you know what? We're here because of our crime. We're here because, you know, we're rightfully here. Because we're guilty. And we're paying the price of our guilt, of our, you know, our crime. The death sentence. We're justly here. But him, this guy that we've been mocking, he is innocent. And then the other guy, oh, come on, you're, going, you're turning soft on me? Have you ever talked to atheists before? You know, I've talked to these guys, very prideful. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to have a party in hell. Party in hell. Well, you know what? I read my Bible. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no party there. There's no party there. Oh, yeah, I party like it's hell right now. Look, I go to this rave over here. I go to this rave on Friday night. I go to this rave on Saturday night. On Sunday, we go to this rave. You know, after work, there's this, you know, like a hidden rave, underground rave. We do all these things midweek. We get so high, we get drunk, and we party like it's crazy. And I'm going to get to hell, and it's going to be just like that. We're just going to rave until eternity. You're deceived. It's so sad to hear people say that because they're deceived. Hell is very real. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Never designed for God's creation. Never designed for people. Never designed for God's creation in, in uh, the realm of Adam, I'll say. But Satan and his angels. Satan and the fallen angels, his demons. They're going to hell. They're going to hell. And you know what? Because you are made in God's image, and Satan, the demons, they know that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, how much God loves his creation, and they know they're going to hell, the demons, Satan, and they want to drag you with them. They want to break God's heart. They want to hurt him, and so they attack you. If you're a Christian, you have to understand this aspect of spiritual warfare because it's very brutal. It's very sad. You don't have to be scared of the battlefield. You don't have to be scared of the fight. Only fear, you know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Only fear Him. 
Him alone. But understand this nature of combat, of the battlefield. And it's very, very brutal. Because Satan will deceive people you love. Satan will deceive your grandkids. Satan will deceive grandparents. Satan will deceive parents and children, parents, everybody. Your close friends, relatives. Satan will deceive them. Because he wants to drag them to hell. Where are the warriors? Where are the warriors, number one? But where are the warriors, number two, with their fishing poles? <laughs> you see? With their little, I don't know what they call them, but the little, uh, the, the life preservers. The little circle things that you throw out, you know? Where are those people? Where are the fishers of men in these last days? The harvest is plentiful. It's very important to understand. So the thief on the cross, you know, we're here because, you know, we're guilty, but he's innocent. And then he looks at Jesus Christ. He says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. A former mocker of Jesus Christ. Freshly mocking Jesus Christ. And he looks at Jesus and says, remember me. I mean, picture how strenuous it would be just to talk. How strenuous it is just to breathe on a cross. And yet you do it anyways. You, 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 I don't know how to say it, but you gather the strength to speak some last words. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And then all of a sudden, the Lord responds, mustering up the strength to utter words back to you. Today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> you know how beautiful that is? His faith, his belief, the thief on the cross, his belief was accounted to him for righteousness sake. You say, wait a second, that's not fair. I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, 50 years, my whole entire life. How can the thief on the cross not even walk with the Lord, be on a cross with the Lord for five minutes? And I've been doing this for 50 years? It's not fair. Well, remember our study on Wednesday, Leviticus 25, about Jubilee? The 50th year, it's like, wow, you know, every, everything's forgiven the 50th year. And you have a servant that was hired in year one. And then you count, you know, uh, seven times seven years. The 49th year is the preparation. You have the Day of Atonement. And then a couple months later from the Day of the Atonement, you have Jubilee, the 50th year. What about the servant that was hired in year one? A servant for 49 years. And in the last month of that 49th year, say the last uh, several months of that 49th year, what if the master hired another slave? And then boom, 50th year comes. Year of Jubilee for you, year of Jubilee for the fresh slave. Oh, that's not fair. I've been a slave for 49 years. That's not fair. That's not fair. What does fairness have to do with anything? 
do the rules apply differently? No. In the law and under grace, do the rules apply differently? No. The thief on the cross, a believer for five minutes, maybe less, maybe 10 minutes, I don't know, not a long period of time. Oh, but I've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. It's no fair. It's no fair. Where's fairness? Where do you see fairness in the word of God? Where do you see fairness in, in the world? Be careful with fairness. You know, that's a tool that Satan uses. Everybody thought about fairness. Oh, you know, it's not fair. This guy gets better grades than me. So I'm a straight F student. This guy's a straight A student. It's not fair. Change your standards so this guy doesn't get straight A's. Change your standards so, you know, I don't get F's anymore. I want to get C's. Be very careful with fairness. You know, it's a tool that Satan uses. And so I'm going to stress this even further. You know, it's like, you know, so works is as is written in verse 4. Works is not counted as grace, but as debt. So works is debt. It's not grace. Works is debt. Remember Paul's debt? Remember Paul's debt? We read it a couple, a couple weeks ago. In verse chapter 1, verse 14, this is what Brother Paul writes. He says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. Whoa. Paul says, I'm in debt. Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise, I'm in debt to them. Whoa, Brother Paul, you're in debt to these people? Yes, he is in debt to these people. You know why? Because that's where the Lord called him to do. That's the ministry that the Lord called him to. He's in the will of the Lord. And in God's will, he is now in debt to these people. Barbarian, Greeks, wise, unwise. Paul, beautiful, beautiful brother Paul. His works are not counted as grace, but his works are counted as debt. And Paul says, I'm in debt to these people. You know why? Because it's the Lord's will. Why is it the Lord's will? So that these people, the barbarians, the Greeks, the wise and unwise, can become Christians, can know Jesus Christ, and be saved in Jesus Christ. Remember, God is not willing that any should perish. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7 really quick. <clears throat> Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see? What is the will of God? What is the will of our Father in heaven for you? I tell you the truth. Obedience. That is the will of our Father. Obedience unto His Word. Obedience unto Him. Oh, wait a second. You know, the, the Lord is calling me into this ministry. Is the Lord calling me over here? Is the Lord calling me over here? You tell me, is He? Or is that the voice of Satan? Have you tested the spirits? Knowing that Satan presents himself as an angel of light? 
Oh, the Lord is calling me. The Lord is calling me to do into this ministry. Well, wait a second. You know, you were just doing crack last week. I, I saw your social media posts. You were high last night. You went to the strip clubs last night. How can you hear the voice of the Lord when you have this behavior, conduct, which is unbecoming of a Christian? You're married and you're going to strip clubs? You're married and you know you're going to strip clubs, you're getting high, you're doing crack, you have, you know, girl number one, two, three, four, five, who knows? And you're telling me the Lord is calling you over here? How can you hear? That's not the Lord. Where's obedience? Where is obedience? That's what I love so much about the Old Testament. You see the obedience of Moses and you see his intimacy with the Lord. You see the obedience of uh, Abraham and you see his intimacy with the Lord. Intimacy and obedience are, they're not interchangeable. It's intimacy or obedience. It's, you know, it's, they can't be separated. Where you see obedience in the word of God, you also see intimacy. Where's intimacy with the Lord? You know, a lot of people have intimacy with their lusts of the flesh. Sexual and non-sexual. Lust of the flesh. And they're well averse to that kind of intimacy. Because their God is their belly. As the scripture says. But what about intimacy with Jesus Christ? In the word of God. You want to know what the will of the Lord is? I'll tell you. Obey Him. Obey Him. So, okay, how do I know if the Lord is calling me into this? Well, let me tell you something. When the Lord speaks, you'll know. Because all doubt goes out the window. When the Lord speaks. Oh, but I'm going to go do crack tonight. You want to join me? No. How can you be obedient? very important to understand these concepts because people tell me, you know, oh, you teach a workspace salvation. No, I don't. I'm not that I'm, you know, trying to defend myself. But a lot of times, oh, you teach a workspace. Tell me, when have I done that? How have I done it? Well, you teach I shouldn't do crack anymore. Um, <laughs> okay. Show me in the Bible where you know you can do crack. Show me in the Bible where you can be married and go to strip clubs. Show me in the Bible where you can be married and have girlfriend number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Show me in the Bible where you can introduce Ouija boards to your children, the occult. Show me. Oh, it's not there. Okay. So is that an admission that you have been disobedient? You see? And is it in God's will that you be disobedient? It doesn't mix. It's immiscible. The two concepts are immiscible. 
well, I'm a Calvinist, so, uh, you know, it is God's will. Okay, that's another ballgame. That's why I speak hardcore against Calvinism. Reformed theory. I don't call it Reformed theology. I call it Reformed theory because that's all it is. It's a theory. Now, if you're Reformed, I love you. I don't want to hurt you. But to understand, you know, Reformists, they say, oh, you know, the Bible says this. Don't forget, it is also written. You know, Jacob, he loved Esau, he hated. Yeah, it's true. But don't forget that Esau was a lying fornicator. Hebrews 12. Don't forget that, you know, he will, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. True. But you read Exodus. To those who love me and obey my commandments. There's the condition. Yeah, he's merciful, but there's a condition to God's mercy. To those who love me and obey my commandments. That's what I mean when I say it is also written. Oh, you didn't choose me. God chose you. Or I didn't choose God. God chose me. Don't forget, you know, you 12 I have chosen. One of you is a devil. Who by transgression fell. Acts 1. It is also written. Now God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He takes no pleasure in the death of one who perishes, of the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in these things. You see how doctrine can cause people to enter crazy town? Crazy doctrine? Crazy doctrine is a doorway into crazy town. Sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is also a door. Capital D. It's a door. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Those three elements. He's the door. You enter the door, the good door of the good shepherd, and what do you find? Truth. And I know truth is sharp. Truth is, you know, truth, what truth did for me when I was a little snowflake. Truth hurts. But praise the Lord for His truth. Because He shaped me. So you enter the good door, capital D, and you find truth, you're going to have your feelings hurt. Because the Lord is shaping you. He's giving you truth. And you yield to Him and aligned to Him. And then all of a sudden you take your last breath and boom, life. The way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. Only to Jesus Christ. Oh, but my priest told me it's purgatory. I, I take my last breath in purgatory. No. Your priest is wrong. And biblically, your priest is wrong. You need to get out of crazy town. There's a different folder that I speak of. It's the fold of Christ, Son of the Most High. And so look what happens here, going back to uh, verse uh, uh, verse 5. You know, we talked about, you know, like the, the will of the Lord and obedience unto Him. So you look at the thief on the cross and Paul. So, oh, surely Paul, he's hardcore. Surely Paul is better off, is he really? The thief and Paul, for both, it was accounted to them for righteousness. 
faith was accounted for righteousness. You might say, well, you know, Paul's going to have a, a better crown in heaven. There's this teaching going around. It's been around for a while about how that, you know, there's, you know, five different crowns of in heaven. You know, there's the imperishable crown. There's the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and the crown of life. Which there are passages which explain this. But me personally, this is just me personally. I'm not going to, you know, attempt to establish some kind of doctrine. But me personally, I don't believe that there's five crowns. I believe that these are five attributes of the same crown. That's just me personally. We're going to find out one day. It's so beautiful when you start to understand. No, we're not saved by works. But works is a debt. Just like Brother Paul. You know what his debt, his debt was? It's to the lost. It's to the lost. Then you hear Brother James write a letter. And he says, faith without works is dead. To further expound upon this concept, faith without works is dead. That's why he points to Abraham. And you see his belief and obedience in Abraham. He believed in God. It was accounted in for righteousness. And then you see his obedience. Remember, his profound trust in the Lord. You see how hardcore this is? So no, we're not saved by works. Verse 5, Him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And when you abide in Christ and you obey Jesus Christ, something's going to happen to your heart. I guarantee you something's going to happen to your heart for the better. He's going to give you a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. You carry your cross. Remember, cross is an instrument of death. And you carry your cross. And then all of a sudden, the Lord's going to say, you know what? I have a job for you. I have a task for you. I'm going to use you to go over here. I'm going to use you to go over there. That's what he did with the prophets of old. Look what he did with Moses. Beautiful, beautiful Amos. A shepherd. He didn't even own the sheep. He was like the hired hand of a shepherd, of a, of a wealthy guy. And he was the shepherd of the wealthy guy's flock. And he says in the book of Amos, in his own writing, he said, you know what? I'm no prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I have no prophetic lineage in my family. I'm not a prophet, nor, nor am I the son of, the prophet, of a prophet. And the Lord says, you know what, Amos? You're a prophet. The prophet Amos. He even said, I'm not a prophet. The Lord says, you're a prophet. That's what happens to you in Christ. Might be a prophet, a prophetess, might be a teacher, might be a pastor, an elder, you know, youth ministry, could be serving in tables, whatever helps ministry, could be whatever capacity. That's not my job to give. But the Lord will speak. And He does speak to those who have ears. Look at, you know, look at how Israel got into crazy town. They started to uh, introduce idols, guilty of idolatry. 
So much so where the Lord calls, he tells him, you straight up played the harlot. You played the harlot. And so what does he do? He taps on the heart of Jeremiah. Taps on the heart of Ezekiel. Taps on the heart of uh, Isaiah. Same thing happened with Judah. So he goes to Amos, Joel, Zephaniah, Zechariah. Hey, I have a job for you. Has the Lord tapped on your heart? Say, wow, you know, I haven't been called into a ministry. I haven't been called like that. Well, be patient. Let's wait on the Lord together. You need to learn. Learn how to fight. You abide in Christ and obey His word. And He might call you at some time into a ministry. It's going to be in His time. His time is perfect. He's going to call you into a ministry. And then boom, welcome to debt. That's where your debt ratios are going to go through the roof. And you're going to be indebted to the lost. Just like Brother Paul was. Just like Amos was. Just like Jeremiah was. Indebted to people who hated them. Indebted to people who killed them. A slave is not greater than his or her master, my friend. So hardcore stuff we're looking at. Now, no disrespect to the Lord by saying stuff. But it is hardcore stuff. Truth. So let's continue. In verse 6, Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Apart from works. Understand, apart from works. Verse 7, he quotes from Psalm 32. He says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You see how much emphasis we place in our study in the Old Testament about a covering? A covering. Atonement for sin. Life for life. It's the exact same thing with Jesus Christ and you. Life for life. The atonement for sins. The propitiation for our sins. Old Testament, it's the same. Life for life. But a different lamb. Lowercase l. But remember, in the law, the Lord is teaching a shadow of things to come. What is to come? The uppercase lamb. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Deceived by the serpent, that serpent of old. And then all of a sudden, they go to hide in the bushes. They were naked. And they were hiding in the bushes. The Lord, you know, Adam comes out, you know, like we were hiding. Why were you hiding? We were naked. We were hiding from you. Who told you you were naked? Complete and total exposure. Who told you you were naked? And then the Lord covered them. The Lord gave them, you know, animal fur. Which means what? Sacrifice. Blood, for, you know, life for life. Blood sacrifice. In the garden. Paradise lost. What did Jesus Christ say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. 
Paradise is gained only in Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ. I don't care what you're, you know, whatever you believe, you know, paradise is not found in the Virgin Mary. Paradise is not found, you know, through Buddha. Only in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, the Lamb of God, the Son of Man. Verse 7, you know, whose sins are covered. You know, this concept in the law about covering. It's very important for us as New Covenant believers and to understand this concept of covering and how it applies to you and me today to have this covering of Jesus Christ. The blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of our hearts. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And that's the beauty of repentance. Repentance. Oh, once saved, always saved. I was 10 years old. I repented when I was 10 years old. Okay, well, you're on your third wife now. You're cheating on her. You're going to dump her. You're going to leave her. You know what? I don't care about what, you know, I care that, you know, praise the Lord that you did that when you were 10. But I care about right here, right now. You need to repent. Oh, but I, when I was 10 years old, once saved, always saved. You were taught wrong. Names can enter the book of life and names can exit the book of life. And you want to risk your soul? Repent. Repent. Look at all the seven churches in Revelation 2 and th Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Seven churches, only two. You don't see repentance. Only two. Uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia. All the other churches, you know, you guys do this, I like this, I like this, but this I have against you. And then the next church, you do this, I like this, I like this, but this I have against you. And what does the Lord say? To churches, Christians, repent or else I will remove your lamp. Repent lest I take your name out of the book of life. Repent, repent, repent. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I don't care. You still left your first love. Repent. Jesus Christ says it to Christians, to believers. So I say it. Repent. I did when I was 10 years old. I, I, I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. Once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. I don't care, my friend. I don't care what your pastor taught you. Get a new pastor. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Then, you know, I lean on that so much that my pastor tells me I can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. I don't care what he tells you. I care what he tells you, but I don't care about him. Don't take the mark of the beast. You're taught wrong. You cannot take the mark of the beast. Oh, but once saved, always saved. You're wrong. And that's what's so beautiful about the last days. People are going to have all kinds of different crazy town doctrines. Crazy town teachers. Teachers, so-called pastors, who are held in such high esteem, who have their own study Bibles. 
And pastors who teach, oh yeah, once saved, always saved, you're good to go. And you're so much good to go that you can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Why listen to, why subject your ears to such a diatribe? No, the truth of God's holy word speaks loud and clear. The clarion call of God, repent, 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 repent. Get a new mind, get a new heart, get a new spirit. In the last days, his spirit will be poured out. But this door of grace is not going to be open forever. There is such a thing referred to as the fullness of the Gentiles. And that's when the door of grace closes. The Lord gives us signs and events of the last days, signs of the times. Look at the days that we live in today. That's what's so beautiful about repentance. Being right with the Lord. In verse 9, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Or upon the uncircumcised also? Remember, in verse 2, or in verse 1, what shall we say then? That What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? So if we're in the church in Rome, you think, okay, he's talking to the Jews. We're Gentiles, so we don't need to listen to this. He's talking to the Jews. But no, he's speaking to the church, both Jew and Gentile. Both Jew and Gentile. Remember, we've already established the what he, what he spoke You know, in, in chapter 2, verse 28. He's not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is, circumcision, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, in verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. We've already established that. Verse 9, does this bless, in chapter 4, verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Is it only for the Jews? Paul, speaking as a Jew, remember, he's a Jew. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? For Is it, is it only for us? I mean, I'm speaking, I'm kind of like the, you know, uh, if Paul were saying that. Or upon the uncircumcised also, is it for the Gentiles? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, which is a biblical truth. We read it in Genesis 15. We see it in verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's what he's saying here in verse 9. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. And now is a hardcore question. How then was it accounted? Question mark. How? While he was circumcised? This is the law. Or while uncircumcised? Here's the answer. Not while circumcised. But while uncircumcised, you see how beautiful this is? It's not in Genesis 15 or earlier, but it's in Genesis 17 where the law of circumcision is, you know, the circumcision happens. Where the Lord gives the command. And the promise is given in chapter 15 of Genesis. See how deep this concept is about, you know, the timing God's timing is perfect. Look at how perfect it was for Abraham and the implications of this perfection in, in, in terms of timing 
for you and me today of both Jew and Gentile. I'll read it again, verse 10. How was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised. So this faith that was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, how then? When? Was it while he was circumcised? Or was it while he was uncircumcised? Not circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Wow. Praise be to the Lord. You're a new covenant believer, a non-Jew. You're a Gentile believer in Jesus Christ. When you read Genesis 15, when the Lord says to, to Abraham, and the Lord says to him, he says in, in Genesis 15 verse 5, when the Lord says, look now toward the heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them, so shall your descendants be. And you're a new covenant believer abiding in Jesus Christ. The Lord is speaking about you, my friend. The Lord is speaking about you. An heir according to promise. And so look what happens here. Going back to Romans 4. Romans 4, uh, uh, of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, this is verse 11, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. You see Gentiles being grafted into the promises of God, which we're going to study more in future verses in Romans. When we get to Romans 11, we're going to talk about that. But there's other truths that are going to, it's almost like building blocks. We're going to get to that point, but there are foundational truths that we need to understand, such as the law of faith, such as justification, such as righteousness because of faith, not because of works, but because of faith. You see people get their DNA tests, you know, they, 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 they go online, they put their address and they get a letter in the mail or a little pamphlet in the mail or whatever, a little package in the mail with little swabs. And they do the swabs in the mouth, you know, all these whatever, you know, stick it in a little baggie, seal it, and then mail it back and then they get a letter in the mail or they get it, a little email online. So, oh yeah, we, we did your DNA and we traced your lineage to, you know, you're a descendant of Attila the Hun. You're a descendant of, you know, uh, Queen Elizabeth. You're a descendant of, you know, uh, Peter the Great. You're a descendant of, you know, whoever. You know what I say? Who cares? Who cares? Who, who gives a rip? I don't mean to say that, you know, uh, offensively. But who cares? You're a descendant of, you know, queen, whatever. You're a descendant of king. You're a descendant of, you know, Attila, whatever. Who cares? You know what? If you're in Christ, you hold up your Bible. You look at Genesis to Revelation. This is your family tree. Heirs, according to promise. You read about Abraham. Wow. Heir, family tree. Jacob, Isaac, Moses, Joshua, Rahab. All these beautiful people, Timothy, Ruth, Esther, 
Lady, beautiful, beautiful lady. Eunice. All these people. Mary. This is our family tree. If you're a new covenant believer. If you're abiding in Christ. That's the beauty of the law. Yes, I said the beauty of the law. Because you're abiding in Christ. And you know Satan's a fisherman too. And if he catches you and you go outside of Christ, say it's like, you know, you have friends that call you. Hey, let's go do crack. And then you stumble, you go do crack. You know what happens? Well, that's the law that's a tutor, a schoolmaster. It brings you back into Christ. Praise be to the Lord. To understand the purpose of the law. The law is not over. The law is still in effect. But something that we have to understand as new covenant believers is that the law is not meant for the righteous. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Remember, he's speaking to Timothy, who's like, you know, a mix, mix, mixed breed, so to speak, of both Jew and Gentile. The law is good, Timothy, if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person. It's not meant for the righteous person. But it is, as he says here in verse 9, for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners and for the unholy and profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers and manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and... If there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. That's who the law is for. So you hear me talk about crazy town? Crazy teachers introducing crazy town doctrine? Well, verse 10 is for them. Any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. They're under the law. They don't hear a schoolmaster. They do not hear the schoolmaster, the tutor. And the law is a tutor to bring us back to Christ. It's a very dangerous place to be when you're under the, the tutelage of these crazy town teachers. They call themselves pastors. I call them wolves. Welcome to the last days. It's the last days. We were told that these things would happen. And so look what happens here. Going back to Romans 4. Verse 12. Or verse 11 at the end. That the, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. It's Gentiles. Both Jew and Gentile. And the father of 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 circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham, Abraham had while still uncircumcised. You see, God's timing is so perfect. Understand that God's timing is perfect. Look at God's timing with Abraham and how the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Oh, the Lord doesn't speak like that. The Lord doesn't give visions. That was for 2,000 years ago. That's crazy town doctrine. That's something that is contrary to sound doctrine. You know what that means? If you adhere to such a thing, 
you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. In accordance with First uh, Timothy chapter one verse ten, you're in trouble. Remember, Brother James is the one who says, let not many of you be teachers. You know what that means? Let not many of you be teachers. That's exactly what it means. You know why? Because teachers are held to a higher account, a higher standard. Not a higher standard in accordance to man, but I'm going to give a stricter account when I stand before the Lord. And that, my friend, terrifies me. And because of that fear of God, I can't give anything other than the truth of His Holy Word. I cannot. And I know truth hurts sometimes. I don't mean to hurt. I don't intend to hurt. But truth, Holy Scripture, to the carnal, it does hurt. And I tell you from experience, it does hurt. It is very, very painful. Because the Lord is at work in your heart. So whenever you hear a teacher and his words hurt you, there's something that has to happen in your heart. Number one, is your teacher crazy town? Or is your teacher aligning to sound doctrine? You know, you have like a fork in the road. You have crazy teacher, don't listen to that guy. Don't listen to that lady. Like if you're if you're a lady listening to a lady and you know lady's crazy, don't listen to crazy lady. There's a lot of crazy ladies out there. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. You know, if you're a sister in Christ, I love you. But you don't need me to tell you that. There's a lot of crazy people out there, male and female. So you're listening to a Bible teacher. If you're female, listening to another female, and you know you're hearing you teach crazy town. This is crazy town. Now that that person is under the law, in accordance with First Timothy chapter one verse ten, that person is under the law. I'm not going to listen to crazy town. Why should Why should I subject myself? Why should I subject my soul to crazy town? Knowing that I am going to stand before the Lord. I mean, I'm putting myself in the position of student. Why subject your soul to crazy town, knowing that crazy town is subject to judgment in accordance with new covenant teachings? Why? Now, let me, ask, let me tell something or ask something of husbands and fathers, the patriarch of the family, the pastor of the home. You have crazy town pastor, crazy town teacher. Why would you subject not only yourself, but also your wife and also your children? Why would you subject them to crazy town? Knowing that crazy town teacher is subject to the judgment in accordance with the new covenant, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. Why? Just like I said to the Catholic, to the Jehovah's Witness, and to the Mormon, just as I told them, get out of crazy town, so I say to you, get out of crazy town. And crazy town is all around us. Crazy town teachers are all around us. 
You know the beauty of that is? We're surrounded. We can fire in every direction. We can, you know, fight in every direction. Praise be to the Lord. Look what happens here. Going back to uh, chapter 4, Romans 4. Verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Through the righteousness of faith. Let me tell you something that is very evil in these last days and is getting worse and worse and worse. It's something called the Hebrew Roots Movement. It's complete and total rubbish. Rubbish. The Hebrew Roots Movement, its adherents, its teachers, they say, oh, Jesus Christ was Jew. The apostles were Jewish. So therefore, let's see what the Jews have to say about righteousness. So let's look at Leviticus. Let's look at Exodus. Let's look at Numbers. Let's look at Deuteronomy. And let's apply these things to our lives. Because after all, Hebrew roots. So let's move towards the Hebrew roots. Oh, you're a Gentile? That's okay. Let's go back and learn about this. That's complete and total garbage. Oh, you're so mean-spirited. That's so. Why could you say? They're just in their piety unto the Lord. They just want to honor the Lord and learn deeper things about, you know, Judaic principles. It's satanic. It is evil. It is wicked. It is demonic. Well, that's too mean-spirited. I'm not listening. I'm going to another church. I'm done listening. That's too hardcore. Let's read on in verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Verse 14 is a huge deal. You hear me say Hebrew Roots Movement, it's garbage, it's demonic, it's evil. Let me ask you a question. Who is it? Who is it that wants to make void faith? And who is it that wants to make of no effect God's promise? Who? I'll give you the answer. Satan. Satan. Verse, you read verse 14 and you say, wait a second, does that mean that the promise is made useless. That's absolutely what Brother Paul is saying. The promises of God are made useless. In verse 14, For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Whoa. It's a trap. It's a satanic trap. The Hebrew Roots Movement. Its origins are from hell. You say, wait a second, whoa, how could you how could you correlate hell to Leviticus? How could you correlate hell to Deuteronomy and Numbers? Because the Hebrew Roots movement attempts to show that righteousness is possible outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, and righteousness comes in no other form, no other way. Only through Jesus Christ. 
Satan wants to nullify God's promises. And you know what? The Hebrew Roots Movement, Satan uses scripture to do that. Just as he did with Jesus Christ. Oh, come here, Jesus. Stand on the top of this temple, the pinnacle of this temple building, and jump down. And it is written, the angels will bring you down safely. What does Jesus say? It is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That's what trips me out. A lot of people, I go to bed at night, I don't lock my doors. The Lord will protect me. I don't wear a seatbelt. The Lord will protect me. Uh, Okay, yeah, you know, there are verses where the Lord will protect you. But don't tempt him either, you know? Oh, yeah, the Lord will protect me. I'm not going to wear my seatbelt. What, you want to tempt the Lord? In five minutes, you're going to be flying through the windshield. You see? Don't tempt the Lord. That's the trick that Satan uses. Oh, yeah, the Bible says, you know, uh, jump down, Jesus. Jump down. the. Try to get have Jesus commit suicide. Jump down, Jesus, because it is written. The angels will bring you down safely. Jesus Christ, no way. No way. It is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Very few in the fold of Christ know that it is also written. You know why? Because they don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. Biblically illiterate. There's a lot of illiterate Christians. They don't know the Bible. Christians who are in milk. I don't think, me personally, this is me personally. I don't, I don't, I don't think Satan minds Christians that are milk drinkers. I don't think he minds them. Because where's the threat? Where's the threat with milk drinkers? That's why you see a lot of milk drinkers in churches. I mean, praise the Lord for the milk drinkers. I mean, milk is good for babies. Little binkies, little bottles, good for, for, for babies. But when you move on to perfection, that's when Satan's like, okay, we got to take care of this guy. We got to take care of this girl. Just like you see in the book of Acts. Jesus I know. Paul I know. To the sons of Siva, remember? And the the, uh, 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 itinerant Jews. And the sons of Siva. Paul I know. Jesus I know. But who in the world are you? Wasn't a threat. Sons of Siva, not a threat. To the demonic. You know who the threat was? Paul. Mature Christian. That's where the threat was. So when you grow and mature and matriculate in Christ and you learn of Him, you have to learn how to fight. Because, you know, it's not that you have to go to the fight. Almost all cases, the fight will come to you. No matter what. When you stand for Christ, the fight will come to you. Sometimes it's physically, like actually physically, but definitely spiritually. Look at the fight that came to to Paul when they left him for dead. Did he fight back? No, he turned the other cheek. He applied wisdom. Did he stand for his rights when he was put in jail? No, he adhered, he submitted himself. To the laws of the land. 
And God showed him grace. And how he used that. That time period when he was under house arrest to write letters to the churches. Letters that were written for 2,000 some years later, give or take a couple years, we're still reading his writings. We're, we're studying it right here, right now. You see, blessings for obedience. So you hear me say things like the Hebrew Roots Movement is satanic and demonic and evil. It's like, whoa, that's too hardcore. These are people who are Christians, but they just want to learn more of the Hebraic. Uh, they want a Hebraic understanding. A Hebraic Judaic understanding of righteousness. Are you serious? I'm not speaking to milk drinkers. You might be a milk drinker and, you know, I have to be careful with how I word this, but if I were speaking to adults in Christ, if I were speaking to, you know, it could be like a 15-year-old when I say adults in Christ or maybe even an 11-year-old in Christ, somebody who's mature. I tell you the truth, there are some 50-year-olds in Christ who are milk drinkers. So don't be discouraged if you're young. Don't be discouraged like, oh, you know, he's not talking to me. I'm just a young kid. Don't be discouraged at all because maturity in Christ has nothing to do with age. But you say, oh, the, the Hebrew Roots Movement, it's, it's innocent. It's, it's, it's innocent. These people just want to go back. They want to understand a deeper understanding. Well, understand the work of Satan. Remember, in verse 13, that the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. Remember, those who are of the law. Why go back to the law? Where faith is made void. It's walking away from the cross. It's denying the cross. It's denying the power of God unto salvation. It's denying Jesus Christ himself to return to the law. The law is a one-way road, and it points to Jesus Christ. You see? Faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. I only know of one whose goal is this. His name is Satan, Lucifer. And he's using scripture to trick the multitudes, to deceive the multitudes. Oh, that's too harsh. That's too harsh. Well, let me ask you a question. What's worse? My tongue or these people burning in hell? What's worse? My tongue or them gnashing of teeth? What's worse? My tongue or people's faith becoming void? What's worse? Now, you hear me say to, you know, to Catholics, J-dubs, the Mormons, to people who subject themselves to crazy town, I'll also add, if you're Hebrew Roots Movement, get out of crazy town. Leave crazy town. Leave that. If you're listening to me and you're involved with the Hebrew Roots Movement, I tell you the truth. 
it's satanic. It is demonic. Because Satan's goal, this is you, and you're in Hebrew roots. Satan's goal is for your faith to be made void, and he uses the law. His goal is to make the promises of God of no effect to you. And he uses the law of God. He's a crafty, crafty. He knows how to make men fall. Strong men, he knows how to make fall. But who is the strong man inside of you? Who is the strong uppercase M inside of you? It's not you. It's not me. It's Christ in us. And we stand. And we fight. I love you. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah, Say you're hardcore into Hebrew, Hebrew roots movement. You've been in for 10 years. 20 years you've been involved with the Hebrew, Hebrew roots. I don't mean to hurt your feelings by saying you're deceived. Because I do love you. But you are deceived. You need to turn around and return to Christ. You must. You say, oh, that's too hardcore. You mean, what do you mean to say it's satanic and demonic? You don't love me. You say you love me. You don't love me. Well, let me tell you something. As surely as the Lord lives, I don't want your faith to be void. I don't want God's promises of no effect in your life. I don't know you. The majority of listeners, I have no idea who you are. But I pray for you. I don't know whatever background you come from, whatever walk of life. You know, homosexual, lesbian, J-dub, Catholic, you know, Hebrew roots. I have no idea, but I do know this. God loves you. Come out of her, my people. Get out of crazy town and get into the fold of Jesus Christ. You have a crazy town pastor? Get a new pastor. The days are evil. The days are wicked. There's Goshen with God's people. There is light with God's people. Verse 15. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law is only over. The law is over only in Christ Jesus. Only. There is no other way. The law is nailed to the cross. That's Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Colossians 2.14, the law is nailed to the cross. Since the law is nailed to the cross, why leave the cross? Hebrew roots, friends. Why leave the cross? Don't do that. Don't be deceived. Therefore, in verse 16, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, might be certain is how that translates, a sure thing with certainty. It is of faith according to grace that the promise might be sure to all the seed, all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
both Jew and Gentile. Whoa. It's through Christ. Through Christ. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Just like we read in the Old Testament. Of all the tribe of Israel. And the high priest, you present your offering. The priest would come. Take your offering, sacrifice, sprinkle blood on you. Go, you know, sprinkle blood on the altar. You know, take a portion that would be for him, the priest. You know, take the other portion, burn it. You know, take some of the blood and sprinkle it on the altar. Sprinkle, sprinkle it on the on the uh, the the covering, like the little door uh, doorway into the holy uh, the holy place. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have the high priest who goes enters the holy of holies. And would, you know, be one with God, have intimacy with the Lord. God the Father. And then all of a sudden would come out, you know, and then would tell the people, thus saith the Lord. The Lord is giving us instructions, thus saith the Lord. Intimacy. Even Gentiles who were grafted in in the Old Testament. That's why you hear me say in our study in Leviticus... When he talks about strangers, I specifically mention Gentiles. An Old Testament example of us being grafted into the promises of God. Because I want to stoke your faith. My little nudge. I'm not going to push you into faith. <laughs> I'll do it lightly, you know. I'll still push you, but it'll be lightly. To understand these concepts of faith. Which is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. So we're in Leviticus. I say, okay, you're the strangers. Grafted into the promises of God. Grafted into the camp of Israel. We read passages such as this. Beautiful brother Paul writing Romans 4. The father of us all. In verse 16, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, both Jew and Gentile. Look what happens here in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed. God, look at his intimacy. In verse 17, look at this. In the presence of him, capital H. So in the presence of God. Whom, lowercase h, he believed. Who is that Abraham and God? Look at their intimacy. Look at the intimacy with Moses and God. Joshua and God. Beautiful. Paul and the Lord. What about you and the Lord? Male, female, I don't care. I don't care who you are. Male, female, young, old, little boy, little girl, old man, old girl, or old lady. You can be an old girl too. I don't care. Intimacy with your maker. Intimacy with him. And then look what it says here. I have made you father of many nations in the presence of him who, who he, whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. As though they did. So, the, you know, to Abraham, God was referring to you and to me. You read these passages. You know, you read uh, Genesis 15. I mean, 
Straight up, let's look at Genesis 15. Just really quick. Genesis 15. And in verse 5, the Lord says, Look now toward, toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your descendants be. In verse 6, And he believed the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Whoa. That's you. That's you. Like the stars that the Lord said of it to Abraham. Look up at the stars. That's like you. Now go to Genesis 17. In verse 5. In verse 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. You see? And then what happens? So this promise was received in verse in, in verse 15, in chapter 15. It was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. And now you have this promise how he's the father of many nations, which includes you and me in accordance to faith. Heirs by promise. And then in chapter 17, verse 10, is the, uh, uh, the, the last part. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. It's the law of circumcision. See? And this, this promise was given to Abraham before the circumcision. And that's what Paul is writing about to the church in Rome in chapter 4. That's what he's saying. Chapter 17, verse 10. Male circumcision. I mean, circumcision is only for males. <laughs> but this is the beautiful, beautiful law that Zipporah, beautiful, beautiful Zipporah, remembered Moses forgot. Moses, a giver of the law, was a breaker of the law. Almost a breaker of the law. Well, he was a breaker of the law. But beautiful, hardcore Zipporah said, mm -mm, not on my watch. Not on my watch. She takes her sons, picks up a sharp stone, and whoosh, circumcision right there. Throws the foreskins at the feet of Moses. You think, whoa, that's hardcore. That's so mean-spirited. That's not mean-spirited. The wife of Moses saved her husband because she remembered the law. Moses, you're going to give the law and you're a breaker of the law? God wants to kill you. God's going to kill you. And you read the passage. God wanted, God was like going to kill Moses. Beautiful Zipporah. If you're a wife and you're listening to my message, you're listening to these words, my words. And you're a wife. Be like Zipporah. You know, husbands are crazy sometimes. And I speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's so cool. It's like, wow, you know, you're, you're hardcore. You have a hardcore wife, you know, and it's like, wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, a lot of, you know, little milk drinker husbands, milk drinker wives, it's not good. Especially for kids, it's not good. In these last days, definitely it's not good. But you're hardcore, hardcore papa, hardcore mama, and you're raising little hardcore kids. Wow. That's like ready for combat, ready for fights. In Christ, you know, lovingly, of course. And it's so beautiful to see it. To witness and see. And to be encouraged by so great a cloud of witnesses that are before us in Holy Scripture. And so look what happens here. Going back to Romans 4. 
verse 17 at the end said, Who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did? So, like, making a promise to Abraham that you're a father to many nations. That includes us in accordance to faith in Christ. He says this in verse 18, who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed. Contrary to hope. It's saying there's no reason for Abraham to believe. Contrary to hope. There's no reason to hope, but in hope, Abraham believed. You know how beautiful that is? That's what's going to be, you know, have you ever been in such hardship? Where, logically speaking, intellectually speaking, there is absolutely no reason for you to hope, logically speaking, intellectually speaking, no reason. But what happens when we bypass logic? What happens when we bypass faith? Or <laughs> bypass logic, bypass intellect? The eyes of faith begin to open. And you can have hope. And not just have hope. But this word in verse 18 for who contrary to hope in hope believed, that's the pistieo word again in the Greek, which is hardcore faith. A hardcore entrusting unto the Lord and trusting unto the Lord. It's a deep and extreme trust in the Lord. Logic, intellect, throw it out the door. Because this is the way of faith. Contrary to hope. In hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. A lot of times people read the word of God, which is a good thing. But then you have the name it and claim it. You know, they say, okay, you know, you know, I, I, I declare this. In the name of Jesus, I declare this. Well, you know, hold on there. Name it and claim it. Hold on. But wait a second, according to what was spoken. So I also want to do this according to what was spoken. Well, Abraham was a different animal. Abraham is not like the average bear. What do you mean? What do you mean? Let me tell you. Look what happens. In verse 19, and not being weak in faith. So there's, you know, little check mark number one. He's not like the average bear. Now, actually, check mark number one is verse 18. Contrary to hope and hope believed. So there's no logically, intellectually, there's no reason for him to hope. Check mark number one is he still had hope and a hardcore trust unto the Lord. Check mark number two, not being weak in the faith. He did not consider his own body. I love this. This is, this is a funny part to me. There's a lot of humorous parts in the Bible for me. And I'll make mention of them from time to time. Sometimes it's not really, you know, like we're talking about something serious. But, you know, there's a little part that makes me chuckle and I try really hard not to chuckle. This is one of those things where I don't know if it's entirely appropriate, but it's kind of funny. Because he says, not being weak in the faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. In parentheses, I read out the New King James Version in parentheses. Since he was about 100 years old. <laughs> if you're an old person, you know, praise be to the Lord. I love you. But I love this part. How you get a little, a little personality taste of, you know, Brother Paul, you know. Abraham's already dead, you know, since he was about 100 years old. It's like, wow, you know, he's practically ready to die. He's an old guy. 
and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Whoa. Don't forget she's an old lady. Now, if you're an old person, senior, elderly, don't be discouraged. Don't ever, ever, ever be discouraged. Because I read my Bible, and you know what I see? I see a lot of beautiful things with the old people. Just like it's written here. Abraham, he's practically, he didn't even consider his own body. You know why? He's he's all, about 100 years old. Brother Paul says he's already dead. He's an old codger. Not just him, but Sarah, who her, the deadness of her womb. They're an old couple, barren wife. And an old man, the Lord says, look up at the stars. Your descendants are going to be like this. And it was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed. If you're an old person, be of good cheer. Be of strong cheer and of good, beautiful cheer. I know a Bible teacher, a certain Bible teacher who goes into a church. He was invited to be a guest speaker. No young people in the church, a lot of old people. You, you just see a sea of like white hair, gray and white all over the place. And he tells the church, he says, this church is dead. That's a fool who says such a thing. He's a fool. I don't consider him a teacher. He calls himself a teacher, but I don't consider him a teacher. I call him poisonous. He goes to old people, a church of old people, and says, this church is dead. He says, this church is dead because there's no young people here. Stupid. A fool. Who are the elders of that church? The elders of that church should have ripped them out of that pulpit. I meant, you know, maybe not ripped them out, but maybe just stood up and, you know, asked him to step aside. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, rip them out of that pulpit. How dare such a fool say things like this? This church is dead because you're a bunch of old people here. This church is dead. No way. I read my Bible. Look at Abraham and Sarah, old people, practically dead. And yet, look, look, look at everything the Lord has done in Abraham, through faith, through Abraham, through the law, and through grace. But the promise was given to Abraham, heirs according to the promise. Look at what the Lord has done. Promises to an old couple, promises to Abraham, promises to, to Sarah that she's going to have a baby, an old lady having a baby. Whoa. Look at Moses. When, you know, Moses at the burning bush, the Lord says, take off your sandals because where you are, the place where you stand, it's holy ground. And Moses says, oh, what do I do? What do I, who do I say sent me? He says, tell them I am who I am. And then the Lord gives him further instruction and says, don't go to the young people. He says, Moses, specifically, you go to the old people. It's the elders. It's not leadership elders. It's, remember, the, 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 the leadership elders hasn't even been established yet. He says, go to the old people. Go to the old people and tell them because they're going to help you. Go to the old people. Now, if Moses, I'm not to sound heretical, but if Moses were like a branding professional in marketing, you know, in all this, if he were to apply marketing strategies and branding strategies and you know, he wouldn't go to the young to the old people. 
What would he do to appeal to the flesh? What would he do to the, appeal to the carnality, the carnal senses of the masses? It's reducing the power. of It's an affront to the power of God. What an offense to the power of God. What an offense to the Lord himself if he were to do such a thing. Now, I'm not speaking heretically, but I'm trying to correlate what we see today in churches. How dare a fool say to old people, this church is dead because they're old people. I read my Bible and I see a lot of beautiful old people. I see beautiful young people, male, female, but I see a lot of beautiful old people. And if you're old, you know, like over age 40, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're old, say you're like 70, 80, 90, say, you know, you know, you're three figs, you know, 101, 102. Praise be to the Lord. Remember the cloud of witnesses, these old people that we have in Holy Scripture. Beautiful, beautiful old people. And be of good cheer. And be strong in the Lord. And you know, you have some fools, a charlatan who will say such things. This church is dead because there's no young people here. Man, I wish I could talk to those elders. You know, hey elders, what's up? Do your job. Get this guy out of the pulpit. Kick him out. No, the edification. Edification of the body of Christ, body of Christ, and the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. What are the saints? People who believe. The believers in Christ, those are saints. I don't care what the Pope says about sainthood. That's garbage. You you know my thoughts about Roman Catholicism. It's anathema to Christ. Roman Catholicism is anathema. Anathema to Christ. The cross. Anathema. It is poison that emanates from Rome. The seven hills. Nothing but poison. I don't care what the Pope says about sainthood. You believe in Jesus Christ? You're a saint. You're a saint. You know, I wish I could just have these conversations with co-pastors and elders. You know, the guest teacher comes, the guest pastor comes and starts spewing such diatribe. You're, oh, this church is dead because there's no young people here. It's like snap two elders. Take care of this guy. He's poisoned. There's a snake in the pulpit. So look what happens here. In verse 19, And not being weak in the faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. You know what's so beautiful about this? Look at their circumstances. An old man, an old woman, they're married, an old couple, she's barren, no babies. Look at their circumstances. How in the world can they have babies? Well, the promise came from a source not of this world. Faith. Faith. Remember, Abraham was so forward-looking that he was so forward-looking that he looked to Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem, Zion. That's how forward-looking he was. In verse 20, 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Now you hear that? Whoa! Such a thought. How 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 could how could Abraham even enter the realm of unbelief? Turn with me really quick to Hebrews three. Hebrews three. Hebrews three verse twelve. Beware, brethren. Hebrews 3.12, beware, brethren. Aha. It's to the church, to Christians, to saints, to believers, people of the faith. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. This is apostasy. Apostasy. It's actually this unbelief is apistia, which is unbelief and unfaithful. It's the w- w- a derivative of apastia, apastasia, apastasia, which is apostasy. Departing from the living God. Departing here is to fall away from the living God. You know what is prophetic about the last days? Probably the biggest thing which break not, uh, it breaks my heart the most. All the prophecies of the last days. Is the great falling away. The great falling away. Look how Satan makes people fall away. Look how Satan deceives. Look how Satan seduces. I mean, we just talked about the Hebrew Roots Movement. He seduces and causes people to leave the cross of Jesus Christ using Scripture. You see how wicked, wicked, a murder from the beginning, the father of lies. And look at what happens here in verse twelve. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any you in in any in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that's the danger of sin. Oh, it's just a little white lie. No big deal. Oh, it's just a strip club. No big deal. Oh, it's just a little crack. No big deal. Just a little meth. No big deal. Yeah, I have meth mouth. Look at my teeth. It's no big deal. Yeah, I cheat on my taxes. I pay these people under the table. It's a little white lie. We don't have to tell the IRS. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pay this person. Tell them, you know, I'll, I'll pay you uh, uh, whatever dollar amount. But, you know, just let's just pay cash basis. It's better for you. You get more money. Every time these little trespasses, I say little, but they're actually big, but these little sidesteps, you know, you're on the narrow path. I mean, picture yourself, picture yourself on a wide highway. You could take a million sidesteps and you'll still be on the wide highway, but then put yourself on the narrow path. If you take a million sidesteps, you're not the narrow path anymore. You leave the narrow path. You've fallen from the narrow path. If you take a thousand sidesteps, you've fallen off the narrow path. If you've taken a hundred sidesteps, you've fallen off the narrow path. If you've taken 50 sidesteps, you've fallen off the narrow path. You say, wait a second. I have taken 50 sidesteps. That's the beauty of repentance. 
You take sidestep, 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 sidestep. And Satan wants you to do that. Sidestep, 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 sidestep until fall. Just like he does with the Hebrew Roots Movement using scripture. Oh, you're at the cross. No, that's no big deal. That's fine. Go ahead and worship Jesus. Oh, but look at this law from Leviticus. A little sidestep. Here, sidestep over here with me. Oh, look at this other law in Deuteronomy. Oh, another little sidestep. Oh, look at this other law. Look at numbers. Look at this passage in Exodus. Sidestep, sidestep, sidestep. Using scripture. Using the devotion of one's, you know, one's devotion unto the Lord. Using that as a tool for deceit. That's how crafty our enemy is. And so people sidestep, 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 leaving the cross, sidestep, 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 entering the realm of the old covenant, sidestep, 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 and now are in the law. Boom, they're trapped, trapped. Satan got them. It's demonic. Where faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect and Satan laughs. Satan laughs. And the people think they're honoring the Lord when they've left the cross of Jesus Christ. Apostasia. Apostasy of the last days. The great falling away of the last days. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I repented when I was 10 years old. I did the altar call. So it's okay for me to do crack. I'm good to go. It's okay for me to say these little white lies. It's okay for me to be a little tax cheat. It's okay for me to go to the strip clubs. It's great for me to have meth mouth and do my meth and have teeth that look a mess. It's okay. Yeah, my teeth are rotten out. Yeah, my skin looks like, you know, weird. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. I'm good to go. Don't worry about me. You know what that is? Deception. Sidestep, 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 fall. And that's what's so beautiful about repentance. Sidestep, sidestep, sidestep. You're in your Bible. Sidestep, sidestep. And then you stop. Whoa, Lord, you don't like this? You don't like it when I hang out with these guys who want to take me to the strip club? Okay, Lord, forgive me. Lord, give me the courage to tell them. I'm going to tell them. Next time they say, let's go to the strip club, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to invite them to church. Lord, forgive me. I repent before your holy throne. And boom, you've sidestepped 10 times to the left. Boom, the Lord takes you, puts you right in the middle of the narrow path. And then you start to sidestep to the right. And then you read your Bible. You're in prayer before the Lord. You feel like something unease in your heart. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're reading, you're reading, you're reading. And you're like, whoa. Lord, I'm a tax cheat. You don't like dishonest scales. Lord, forgive me. You've taken 20 sidesteps to the right. Lord, forgive me. I repent. I repent. Lord, forgive me. I didn't know. I'm going to get my taxes right. I'm going to go to my CPA and tell him, you know, let's do an amended taxes. It's going to cost me. Yeah, I thought I saved $5,000 last year, but no, I'm going to pay it back. Look, I was a tax cheat. I claimed this and I got, you know, this extra money. No, I'm going to refile my claims and it's going to cost me. And I'm going to pay it back, Lord, because I want to be a vessel of honor. I don't want to bring you dishonor. I want my life to be a sweet aroma 
to you, Lord, and to you alone. Nobody else. The world can count me as ugly. The world can count me as a pariah. The world can count me as disgusting. But to you, Lord, I want to be a sweet aroma. And if I have to pay the IRS 5000 10000 20000 so be it. I'm going to amend my taxes for, you know, 20, uh, 2018, 2019, or, or 2018, 2017, 16. I'm going to amend all these taxes. And I'm going to get a big fat IRS check or I, big fat IRS, you know, debt slip, a payment. I got to go on a payment plan and pay, you know, 2500 bucks a month to get right. Lord, forgive me. I repent. Boom. All your 20 side steps to the right, boom, right back in the middle of the narrow path. A hard heart is sidestepping. That's the deceitfulness of sin that the writer of Hebrews says here in Hebrews 3 verse 13. The hardness through the deceitfulness of sin. Deceitfulness of sin. You know who the father of lies is? Satan, Lucifer, the seductor. That's what he does. Seduces people. Using scripture, he'll seduce people. Using scripture, wanted Jesus to commit suicide. You see? Let's go back to Hebrews in closing. Or Romans, Romans 4 in closing. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that that what he had promised, he was also able to perform it, able to perform it. You see, it's so beautiful because you see, without regard to circumstance, to be unwavering and fully convinced that what God had promised to him, that God was also able to perform. God is always able. Never forget. What's impossible to the Lord? What in the world is impossible to him? Answer, nothing. Absolutely nothing, my friend. In verse 22, in closing, and therefore, that's a big therefore, and therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. I love verse 22. You know why? Because you look at Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. You look at Romans 4, verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But then you look at you know Romans 4. Did I say Abraham chapter 4? I meant Romans chapter 4. You look at Romans chapter 4 in verse 22. Yes, it was accounted to him for righteousness, but look at the first two words. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's a big therefore. Because look at all the things that we looked at already. Look at all the things. Yes, he trusted in the Lord. Yes, he trusted in the Lord. But you see, wow, his level of trust in the Lord was off the charts. Remember, he didn't have the cloud of witnesses that you and I have today. We're spoiled. We have an immense great cloud of witnesses. 
were spoiled. In verse 23, now it was not written for for his sake alone that it was impu- that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Also for us. You see how beautiful this is? It's for you and for me. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Remember Jesus Christ in accordance with 1 Corinthians 15. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, which means what? There's more. When the mortal will put on immortality, It's our glorified bodies. You look at a family, say a family with, you know, husband, wife, and five kids. Their firstborn child, that's the first fruit of their womb. The, the womb of the wife. The first, the first fruit of the womb. Then wife, or, or children, child number two, three, four, five. Those are, you know, the second, the third, the fourth, you know, obviously. Not the first fruits. they are more fruits. What about in accordance to the resurrection, Jesus Christ being the first fruit of the resurrection? Which means what? There's more. It's the rapture of the church. When we put on our glorified bodies. When corruption puts on incorruption. When mortality puts on immortality. It's the rapture of the church. Now you hear me say in verse 22, it's a heavy therefore. That's a hardcore therefore. That it was accounted to him for righteousness. I'm going to give you, in closing, I'm going to give you a holy recipe. A holy recipe of how you can be fully convinced of God's promise unto you through his word. All these promises that you have in the word of God, that we have in the holy word of God. And I'm going to give you this holy recipe. And it's basically like a a little uh, concoction from uh, verse 17 to verse 21 of Romans 4. You believe in the Lord. You have deep, profound trust in God. Hardcore trust in the Lord. You take the the person that you trust the most, you take that person and you throw him or her out the door. And that, you know, a million times more than that is your trust in Jesus Christ. No offense. I mean, if you're listening and you're like, man, that's kind of harsh. I'm talking about your trust in the Lord because everybody will let you down. In any way, in some shape, way, form, maybe it's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say. Because sometimes it's, you know, it strikes a nerve. But you know, sometimes people you trust majorly, they let you down majorly. And it's devastating. But there is one, capital O, there is one who will never let you down. Who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. There is one. His name is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. That's who you place your faith in. That's who you place your trust in. In the hardcore trust, just like Abraham, just like Paul. And so look what happens here. This is this holy recipe to be fully convinced, no doubt, to be fully convinced of God's promises. Verse 17 to 21, just like a little boil down of these truths. So you believe in the Lord. You have deep, profound trust in the Lord. You have hope. Even when there's no reason to hope, you still have hope. Your your hope remains. Don't be weak in the faith. 
regard, not body nor circumstance. So if you're an old codger, who cares? If you're in a wheelchair, who cares? You have no legs, who cares? You have no arms, who cares? You do not waver. You do not become unbelieving. You are strengthened in the faith. And you give all glory to God. All glory to God. You take no glory for yourself. Such is the way of the prideful to take glory for yourself. That's how Lucifer fell. Pride. You don't want any glory. Lord, I want no glory. All the glory is yours, Lord. And you bow down before his throne. And you worship him. And honor him. And glorify him with your life. You say, wow, all I have to offer is just me. Praise be to the Lord. Thus fulfills what you know. What is the holy prescription to present your body a living sacrifice unto him. A burnt offering unto him. You're indebted to non-believers just as Brother Paul was in Romans 1. Romans 1.14, indebted to the non-believer, indebted to the non-believers. Praise be to the Lord, your life becomes a drink offering unto the Lord. Just as Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, his life is being poured out as a drink offering. As he's indebted to these non-believers. This is the way of faith. This is the way of faith, my friend. And my prayer is that you take this all to heart, everything we looked at, because it has nothing to do with religion. If you're of another faith, another doctrine, I don't want to hurt your feelings. You hear me mention the Catholics, the the, the J-dubs. You hear me mention the Mormons. Crazy town people. People who listen to TBN tricking believers nightly. You hear me mention the Hebrew Roots Movement. If you're in any of those camps, Crazy Town, Hebrew Roots, if you're in J-dub, if you're a Mormon, if you're Catholic, and if you're in the ones that I haven't mentioned, you know, now that we're at, I'll, I'll mention the, the Buddhists, the Hinduists. I don't care. Leave that camp and come to Jesus Christ. God loves you. God loves you. Now, if you're like, you know, what? how do I do this? How do I do this? You know, we're at the end. So I used to say, you know, just hit pause, but we're at the end. So, you know, when we're done with this, you listen to our study. There's a little, little mini message of how to become a Christian. How to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You listen to that. And you say the sinner's prayer. And rejoice. And you keep listening. Because these sermons that we have. It's, there's no glory in it of man. It's glory unto the Lord. But we equip the saints. For the work of the ministry. To understand what truth of Holy Scripture is. Because you're, you're going to have people in your life. The J-dubs are going to come knocking on your door. Maybe you're a former Catholic. Or maybe you're leaving Catholicism. Maybe you've been swayed into, swindled into Hebrew roots. And then you know you have time in the Word. The Lord trains you up. You roll around on the mat. You learn how to fight. You learn hand-to-hand combat. 
And then the Lord says, okay, I've taken, taken you out of crazy town. I've shaped you. I've molded you. I've given you a new heart, a new mind. Transformed you into my image. And now I'm sending you out into crazy town. To be a warrior, to be a fisher of men. We're going to end our study here. Pick up Lord Willing in chapter 5 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.